2: You're listening to Eye on the Community. I'm Vicki Pepper. This weekend, we commemorate the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 terrorist attacks. Four commercial airlines were hijacked mid-flight, two of them flown into the north and south towers of the World Trade Center, one was flown into the west side of the Pentagon, and the fourth crashed into a field near Shanksville, Pennsylvania, after a struggle between the passengers and the hijackers. For those of us who were alive 20 years ago, it was comparable to the JFK assassination or the attack on Pearl Harbor. Everyone remembers exactly where they were when they heard the news. On the line with me is Travis Bruce, who has been working as a flight attendant for 25 years and who was working on. 9-11. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Thank you, Vicki. It's a pleasure.
2: Travis, I think back to how scared I was that day, and I can only imagine what that was like for someone who was working for an airline. Tell us your 9-11 story. Where were you 20 years ago this weekend?
1: Oh, gosh. You know, so that Tuesday morning, I had been a flight attendant for six years. I was still in my 20s, and like it was any other day of of the week, like everybody's always said, that morning was beautiful on the East Coast. We had three flights to work that day. We started in Flint, Michigan, early that morning, worked Flint to Atlanta, to Jacksonville, and we landed in Jacksonville about 9.20 that morning. We were supposed to go back to Atlanta and then be done with our trip. And shortly after we pulled into the gate and the plane, a flight attendant was was boarding the airplane to go back to Atlanta with us. She was just catching her eye. And she made the comment that there had been two small aircraft that had hit the towers in New York about 15 minutes apart. And I just remember mm-hmm. being thinking, how could that be? And so I went up to the gate to ask the agent for our paperwork before we began boarding and asking what had happened. Like I just said, "Oh, I hear that there's two small aircraft that have hit the towers in New York. And he said, they just announced one was an American Airlines 767. And when he said that, I still remember thinking, oh my God, something horrible is happening, right? And not really even fully understanding what that was. As we all know, you know that event for us that we're living through it. It didn't really seem to have a, a beginning and end. It's just suddenly, we were just in it. So, um, as soon as he said that, he said, "By the way, it's playing on the TV right behind you." This was just back when they had the CNN Airport Network
0: mm-hmm.
1: in airports across the country. And I looked up and I and they were replaying what had happened earlier, like twenty minutes earlier. And you could clearly see the silhouette, of the large twin-engine commercial aircraft flying into one of the towers, and my heart just sunk. Because at that point, we really didn't know, you know, if this was two commercial airplanes, was it the this American seven sixty seven and the smaller airplane or what? But I went back down to the airplane and I stuck my head on the flight deck, and the pilots were both preparing the airplane to go back to Atlanta. And I said, I asked them, "Did you hear what happened in New York?" And they both. You know, so then we were kind of dismissive because they were busy. And they said, oh, yeah, we heard a small airplane. hit the towers. That's crazy. And I said, they just announced one was an American 7 six." And when I said that, they both just turned and looked at me like I had just suddenly grown a pickle out of my forehead. Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? That can't be. And I said, it's on the news up in the gate area. So then the entire crew, all five of us, kind of filed up into the gate area and started watching it and just stood there in silence. But it's, you know, when you're in, in a circumstance like that, you, it's weird how you quickly really want to just continue doing the job that's a task, that's at the hand. You want to just keep, continue, mm-hmm. return to normalcy immediately. And pretty soon the gate agent said, um, are you guys ready to board? And we said, sure. And we went back down to the airplane and we began boarding flight. Um, I remember thinking that as, as people came aboard, it was very, very quiet. The passengers, as they boarded the airplane. Um, really didn't ask much. They didn't say much. There, of course, this was before smartphones. A lot of people simply didn't have phones. Um, but nobody was really talking much about it. And, and there were a few that had, had phones that um, were talking to other people and trying to kind of get bits and pieces of what was going on. And as we uh, continued the boarding process, the captain came on, and, and he obviously couldn't ignore that what had happened. And so he just said, "You know, we're aware of what's going on in New York. Air traffic control delays and cancellations seem to be confined to the Northeast Corridor uh, or international arrivals right now. Right now, it's a beautiful day for flying. We should be up back up in Atlanta in less than an hour after takeoff." And um, about that time, I heard a passenger say, "They just uh, they just set up a car bomb at the Capitol." And I was like, what? And, of course, this was back when yeah, that morning there was so much information coming in and it was nobody really had, had had gone through it yet. But And about that time, the captain stuck his head out of the flight deck and, and said um, "Said to me, hey, uh, they're shutting down air traffic control across the entire country, so we're not going to be going anywhere anytime soon. I'm going to go downstairs to operations and, and see if I can uh, get a phone call through the dispatch and find out what they want us to do next. And so um, we may, I made an announcement uh, explaining to the passengers that air traffic control had, had shut down. And Phil just trying to do the job, and that air traffic control had shut down because of the circumstance in New York. We did not have an estimated departure time and asked everyone to collect their belongings and step back to the airport. And, and of course, you've flown. If any time that you ever hear a flight attendant make an announcement that, you know, everybody's got to get off the airplane. We don't know when we're leaving.
2: No Typically, one likes that, to hear that.
1: Nobody likes to hear that. Typically that results in a lot of grunts and, oh you know, gosh, are we ever going to get out of here? Do you know when we're going to leave? And, and nobody said a word. But everybody just was to be, again, very quiet. Everyone just got their bags and kind of filed off the airplane. And and I get chills now thinking about that, just how, how we were all so concerned and so nervous and we didn't know exactly what to be frightened of yet we just knew that something awful was happening and of course you know we're in in Jacksonville Florida it's a beautiful loose blue sky sunny day and it just seemed the perfect day for flying and how could anything be wrong but something was very wrong and um so shortly thereafter, the crew went, all, all the crew and the passengers went off. We all went downstairs to the operations area. And um, and I said, well, you know, we're probably going to be stuck in Jacksonville. Um, another flight attendant had tried to call crew scheduling and couldn't get through. And I think that was probably the case at every airline at the time. Mm. And um, and so I, I called the local crew hotel, the Crown Plaza, and asked them if they had five rooms available and i remember i remember the, the woman saying sure we have lots of rooms available and i remember thinking you probably won't for long uh-huh. and and uh i i told the rest of chris hey um do you have rooms for us over at the crown plaza and about that time a supervisor from the ramp for our airline came in and said hey uh here's take teacher bag they're evacuating the airport Wow. But yeah, and so we, um, we all evacuated. We all went and got our bags, and, and it wasn't like a mass evacuation. Right? We just kind of slowly walked out to the airport. And at this point, things had really started to change in the concourses because airplanes were diverting into Jacksonville, and passengers were just kind of filing off with this confused look on their face. And as, when we, we got out to the curb, and it was just, to borrow the, the word of a friend, it was pandelirium just kind of nobody really knew what to do. And there were just people everywhere. And this was, was Jacksonville at, I don't know, 9.45 or 10 a.m. On a, on a Tuesday morning. And it seemed like LaGuardia on a Friday night. It was just busy. Mm. And the, the police weren't allowing cars onto the airport property. Or they were inspecting them before they would let them on. And so we ended up walking to the hotel from the airport. Luckily, the hotel wasn't far. It was an airport property. But by the time we got to the hotel, it was the lobby was just packed. Mm-hmm. And it was packed with a lot of crew members. I remember just seeing that i thinking, my gosh, there's so many other airlines here. Was, I remember U.S. Airways and Continental being there as well. So we finally got our rooms. But during the few days that we ended up stuck in Jacksonville, we got together with the other airline crew members most of the time. It was pilots and flight attendants just all kind of gathered around. And talking and sharing our experiences that day and even though we weren't in the air we were in the air when it happened we didn't know about it until we had landed right and to hear some of their stories it was just astonishing and so scary and and of course it wasn't just the fear of people have died on these airplanes it was the fear of what's happening what's going to happen to the industry what's going to happen to our economy what's going to happen to our country so that's my 9-11 morning story. To
2: begin. You mentioned that at first it didn't seem r- really real and that it was hard to wrap your head around exactly what was happening. At what point did you realize that this is huge?
1: It was when we got to the hotel. Uh, well, I, I take that back. When we were downstairs in operations, we watched the first tower had already fallen. and We watched the second tower. The second tower was getting ready to fall, they thought. And by the time we got to the hotel, The second tower had fallen, and by now the hotel had put a big TV in the lobby. And they were, the news was talking about several airplanes were believed to be hijacked. And then I remember them suddenly saying, "There's a, uh, an airplane has crashed in near Pittsburgh." Well, first I heard in Pittsburgh, and then they said near Pittsburgh, and I just thought, "Oh my God, is this thing? Are we watching? Is this the very beginning of this? Is this going to happen? Is it moving across the country?" But At this point, we knew that a plane crashed into the Pentagon. And I thought, they've hit New York and the DC. Are they going to hit Pittsburgh and then Chicago and then Denver and then San Francisco? Just That was because there was so much fear of what's mm-hmm. coming next. And uh, honestly, I don't know that I really fully understood, fully saw the definitive beginning and end of the event for probably like two weeks. I could mm-hmm. really sit down and see when it started and when it ended that morning so just everything was just so hazy and surreal and dreamlike it nightmarish Like,
2: right? would you say you were in shock
1: oh absolutely we all were we didn't i mean here we were we had all we had left to do that day was work one little short hop from jacksonville florida to atlanta georgia on a tuesday morning in september but on a flight that wasn't full because most weren't that on on that time of year and suddenly we were just sitting in a crown plaza out by the pool with a six-pack of beer, wondering what next, what now, and I, I do remember there was a large group of airline uh, crew members sitting out by the pool. And I, I don't want to imply we were sitting out in the pool lounge; we were just sitting by the pool because there was really nowhere, nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. And so we were just sitting out there and kind of, kind of chatting in almost hushed tones because it just seemed like there was a there was a sense of death and, and just a, a horrible event. And somebody made the comment, there's not a single airplane in the air over the United States right now.
0: Mm.
1: And it just... I remember, I remember flight attendants and pilots just suddenly, just out of nowhere, just suddenly start to cry.
0: Mm.
1: Because it doesn't matter what uniform you wear, there is such such a bond amongst airline crew members. because our, Even though our uniforms may look different, maybe the types of aircraft we operate on are different, but we... We just share such a bond because it's all so similar. And you know, as as the scope of what had happened, and the crew members that were lost that morning, and the passengers that that we we look forward to taking care of and protecting every single day were lost, and all these people on the ground were lost. It just it felt very, very personal.
2: Was there a collective sense of when you were sitting with these? Other people in the in the airline industry, a sense that no one else quite knows what we're going through, except these people.
1: (sighs) Certainly, and I I think there was, I feel like we were trying to walk a fine line. We didn't want people to think like this is only affecting us. We're hurt worse than anybody else because we knew the deep impact that this was having on our country. Mm. But there was a sense that very few could understand it from our perspective. We could see what those cabins looked like in our mind. We could, we could hear the dishes rattling. We could, we could hear the screams in that cabin. We could feel the airplane turning and making motions that we didn't understand. Mm-hmm. And that, that sudden, that sudden crisis—you could just, you could, you could feel that. You could sense what it was like in the galley. You could sense what it was like in those cabins and the narrow aisles as people rushed to the aircraft. Just—it was awful. So there was that, that sense that we understand it probably better than a lot of people.
2: You said that you were stuck in Jacksonville for three days. Mm -hmm. At what point did you go back to work? Did you need to go home and kind of collect your thoughts about everything?
1: Well, you know, it was the day uh, on that actual day. Initially, when it first happened, all I wanted to do was get home. So I just wanted to get home and just watch the TV. And then as the day played out, I thought, "I, I don't even want to get on an airplane. But um two or three days after the airlines were each trying kind of starting to to come back together, they reached out to, we had, our airline had two crews on the ground there and they said, look, we need, we need five crew members, obviously a captain, first officer, and three flight attendants. You guys decide amongst yourself who's going to do it. And those five will work the flight and the other five can deadhead on the flight. Or you can, or once you decide who's going to go, whoever's, not going to go, can rent a car and drive back. And some, uh, some of the crew did. But um, we all went, we all did headed back that Friday. And I did exactly then finally what I wanted to do. I just went home. I took a shower. I poured a stiff drink. And I mm. just sat and watched television. I couldn't peel myself away from it. Probably to, it was probably unhealthy to the, the amount of television, the amount of that event that I was taking in. I just couldn't get enough of it. Um, I, I almost feel like I owed it to, our, to the people that were lost. I, I've got to know more for them. Mm. And, of course, in those early days, there were so few answers. I can't believe it's been 20 years.
2: You know, sometimes I think that maybe some of my emotions that I experienced that day have subsided. And, I mean, certainly not completely ever. They're always going to be there. But sure. they're maybe not as strong as they were 20 years ago. But then the anniversary of 9-11 rolls around. And I realized that these emotions are just as strong and just as raw Absolutely. and just as painful as they were 20 years ago. Has that been your experience?
1: Certainly, and, it's, and it comes in ways. I remember about a month after, after it, a month after the, first, after the actual event, I was in Chicago on a layover, and and of course, you know, the news for months was still filled with, with um, stories about that day. And ESPN was on my room, and they um, they were doing a story about a baseball player who's also a firefighter in New York, and had he was a minor league baseball player, and had arrived at the Trade Center, and just as he was running toward the tower, uh, a piece of it fell and killed him on the ground at the plaza. Mm-hmm. And when I heard that, it just I just burst into tears in my hotel room, and just you know just 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 never seemed to end. And years later, I, I worked on the first anniversary. Initially, I hadn't planned to. Right? And I did, and it was very softer. The passengers were very, very quiet. We had a moment of silence. Every commercial aircraft had a moment of silence that day. But every year thereafter, as I've watched the documentaries, as I've experienced it with people that, that didn't work flight attendants or pilots back back then, and who are newer now and i explained it to i explained to them what it was like to go through that and to explain to them what our lives were like prior to 9 11 as opposed to after 9 11 and i suddenly find myself even now during this this interview with you i find myself reliving that moment and i feel like my chest tightening a bit it's just it's just so awful
2: I was going to ask you, too, how the travel industry has changed from your perspective since 9-11. I know certainly as passengers, there's a marked difference between pre-9-11 and post-9-11. And you're still working in the industry. Do you find yourself doing things differently as a result of 9-11?
1: I'm actually no longer in the industry. I just left. When COVID hit, I took a buyout package Mm. after 25 years in the industry. And part of it is because of all the changes. So you know in the in the post 911 world being a flight attendant well being a flight attendant has always been an, an odd mix of marrying service and safety mm. and so now you had to marry service and safety and protection like not only did you have to to be there for passengers in the event of an accident you had to be there in the event that they were there was an attempted murder of them mm. and and you also saw because so many carriers, the financial hit that was taken by so many carriers after 9-11, and some carriers weren't able to survive, that you saw so many bankruptcies. And you saw this real intense, airlines decided they were not going to find themselves in this in a position again where, where they could quickly be taken down by a turn in the market or a major event. And quite honestly, if they hadn't done what they did after 9-11, they probably wouldn't have survived COVID. Um, but we also saw, as, as just as, as passengers seen over the years, we saw just this demand for much higher levels of productivity, uh, much lower levels of reward. So as, as much as they have asked passengers to, to be up, they've also added, asked the employees to work work more for less, with less, and to provide provide less. Mm. Right? Just the you know, the tools that we had before, and just the the things that. We could do for passengers prior to 9-11 that we couldn't do after because we suddenly didn't have them anymore. And it just became a, a less and less enjoyable place to work for me
2: over the years. You mentioned talking about 9-11 to people who had not been flight attendants at that time. Mm-hmm. Is it strange to you that 9-11 was so long ago that kids who are reading about it in their history books in high school or maybe even college now weren't even born when it happened. What would you say to those students about how it changed the USA or the world even?
1: Oh gosh, that is a great question. And So I actually have a, a very, very dear friend of mine, Julie, who's also a friend to me. She got married and had kids about five years after 9-11. And so she has, she has two teenagers now who, who obviously weren't alive for 9-11 and you know, one thing that I've always wanted to say to them is that when you look back on nine eleven, obviously remember the, the tragedy and how it affected so many, but also remember how close our country can be brought together. Mm-hmm. Because in those weeks and months after nine eleven, we weren't Democrats and Republicans; we were just Americans. We were. There was a real patriotism and loyalty to our country that we hadn't seen in a long time. And I don't think we've seen such. And, and so that's what I would impart to people that weren't alive then. It shouldn't take a great tragedy to bring us close together.
2: But it did for one moment. I've been speaking with Travis Bruce, who was working as a flight attendant on 9-11. Do you have any last thoughts for us?
1: Oh, gosh. I try to behave on airplanes. It's tough being a flight attendant. It's harder than mm. it's ever been. And we see this huge uptick for uh, assaults and injuries onboard aircraft from, from the passengers and just try to be nice to your fighters.
2: <laughs> thank you so much for talking with us today. I so wish I could give you a hug.
1: Oh, thank you so much. I would, I would gladly take it.
2: We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone
1: 15s. Over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for 25 bucks per line per month. with Eligible trade in when you switch.